Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 159. Uh, hello, hello. This is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we lament the timing of this recording. I am your host, Nikki Farsad, and we're actually recording Tuesday uh, just before the debates. And I know you guys know that we are normally a Thursday record. Things are weird. Uh, tra- travel is being done. Uh, I'm sorry we're not going to be talking about the debates this week, but we are going to be talking about other assorted Beltway sh- skullduggery, or I was going to say shenanigunery, but that's not a word. Um, we'll, uh, we'll also look back at the Al Franken situation. And finally, summer, it's happening. What should you be doing about it? Um, I'm so excited about the panel today, you guys. I've known both of these gentlemen for quite a long time. Um, the, first up, we have uh, the comedy writer. Uh, oh, my God. He just uh, ended a ridiculously long tenure for Conan. Um, he also had uh, a ridiculously long tenure for Jon Stewart. Um, ridiculously long because he is so much beloved as a comedy writer. Um, and you can check out his great works. I mean, he has a comic a, a, a comic book that you can check out at robcutner.com. He also has a book, which I forgot the name, and he's not even trying to promote that book. Apoc- but Apocalypse How. Pro- Apocalypse How, there it is. Also my, also my Twitter feed. About um, that. Which is also my Twitter feed. You guys, it's Rob Cutner. So happy to have you here. Um, Rob used to do a show in New York. 
um, around Purim, right? Is that yes. what was the like conceit of the show? It was a it was a sketch show where it was all sketches about Purim and the Purim story, but done through like t- TV parodies and that sort of thing. Right, right. And I did the show a few times uh, because there's like a an, uh, there's like a Persian like. Whatever the Persians are the enemies of the Jewish people. <laughs> so you, I gave you a chance to rebut on behalf of the Persians, as on behalf of all of them, which I think seems fair. And I, I really tried to just fix all of it uh, over the course of three shows, mm-hmm. um, but I, I failed, and I'm sorry, Rob. But thank you for giving me that opportunity on behalf of all Iranians. Is that a nuke under your um, seat? <laughs> <laughs> it smells like bacon, as I mm. <laughs> as I say. Um, you guys, um, we are also joined by the host of the podcast, Save for Work. Um, he is uh, the former host of much beloved American public media arts and culture show, Dinner Party Download. Um, so much beloved, in fact, I was actually lucky enough to be on that show. You were the best at one point. Oh, what did you do thank again? You. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were great. You what were was your great. name? Super fun. And um, he also co-wrote the book Brunch is Hell, How to Save the World by Throwing a Dinner Party, which you can get on all of your websites. I recommend doing it through an independent bookstore. Yes. Um, and his name is Rico Gagliano, you guys. Yes, thank you for having me on this show. I feel cowed to be in such illustrious comedy company. Well, you know what, guys? Let's um, get into it with topic number one. Uh, Okay, so Fox News did a segment on Baltimore. And then, coincidentally, Elijah Cummings, uh, who was the representative of that district or most of what Baltimore falls in, has criticized the administration for the squalor and inhumane conditions of the border detention centers. Um, And then Donnie penned one of his typically, like, shitty tweets. Um, And it, like... It's a law. It's like one of those two parters. He calls Cummings a brutal bully. Um, he he calls his district a disgusting and rat and, and, and rat and rodent infested mess. Um, if he spent more time in Baltimore, maybe he could help clean up this very dangerous and filthy place. Okay, so he said all of those things, um, and then he sort of continued. Um, Al Sharpton got uh, attacked as well. Uh, I guess just initial thoughts on what this was about and why it was happening. Well, first of all, I don't don't want to be super nerd and correct you, but it's actually kind of interesting. I think you got the order wrong, which is that Cummings was, but it's really, this is a good good part to this. Um, Okay. So Cummings was criticizing him uh, for a while, and then Trump was really fuming about it. I think it was this past weekend or whatever it was. And then he saw the, and then Fox News shows the Baltimore thing. And then he's like, aha, now I've got my hook. I mean, I think this is this yeah, represents how think, Trump works. His right. entire politics. He gets mad about something. Fox News gives him a piece of red meat, and now he's got something to start and tweeting. He runs about. with it, right? Right? That's right, his entire right, right. governing strategy, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Do you think it'll work? Um, I, I it hasn't worked so far. But you know, <laughs> it hasn't gotten very far. But. Well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I do think the first thing that comes to mind immediately, of course, this play is it doesn't hurt him with his base. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't think that the main idea is to gin up more racial hatred. I think it was also it was interesting that at least one of these tweets specifically connected this 
whole thing to the squad. I can't remember exactly how. It was, of course, a ten years. Yeah, well, he has, he has a list the, of black people read, to go through. Let me read you that. Let me read you that tweet. Uh, if the Democrats are going to defend the radical left squad and King Elijah's Baltimore <laughs> fail, it'll be a long road to 2020. The good news for the Dems is that they have the fake news media in their pocket. Yeah, there, so that's how he connected it to the. This squad. is really a greatest hits that tweet. <laughs> he yeah. hit them all. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. Um, it's very packed, densely packed. But I think that I mean we've been talking about this a lot. I mean we everybody in the media anyway has been talking about this a lot. That really it seems like the tactic is to constantly be hooking everything back into the squad. And that may be, you know, electorally, it might be a winning strategy, it seems like. I know that Frank Bruni, and no right-winger of a guy, was kind of cautioning everybody to uh, for allowing the conversation to be solely about the squad. And that it's kind mm-hmm. of sucking all the air out of the room. And mm-hmm. that uh, sort of haranguing Trump for his racial animus, shall we say, over and over again, isn't really changing anybody's mind. Everybody's already made their kind of call about Trump, whether he's a racist or not. And really what you're allowing him to do by constantly attacking him for these obviously racist tweets is allowing him to continue to control the conversation. And eventually, and this is a quote I have right here in front of me by accident um, from Frank Bruni, which is, if Trump has his way, this campaign will be a bogus referendum on a bastard definition of patriotism. It will be a race-obsessed and racist jubilee. Don't play along. Now Mm. I'll open it up to the table. What do you think? Yeah, do we do we feel like we're I feel like we're playing along. And I feel like, you know, I feel like it's interesting because it's like the Mueller thing happened last week. So then everyone was talking about his performance and whether that was going to lead to an impeachment and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, And then it was just sort of like we've become so uh, we're like dogs that eat our meals really quickly, you know what I mean? And we don't savor the flavor. And so instead of letting anything play out over like a nice long 10, 14 day period, it's just like, well, the um, the Mueller testimony is already old, boring news. There's a new tweet. Let's just eat it up real quick and like make it a big deal and everyone get enraged. And it's, it is pretty, I think, ultimately useless because, again, we're doing exactly what happened in 2016, whereby repeating the thing to um, to criticize it, mm-hmm. we just continue to magnify it. Yeah, right. I agree, and I thought I think also, um, I think you know, not only Mueller, there's so many things that there, that should be talked about that he's doing and his administration is doing. And it's like he just throws the bait out and the media's like, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> right. Like they go right for it every single time. And it reminds me of even like the um, debate, we, the non-debate we had recently about, you know, concentration camps with the border detention camps. Like I was so, as a, as a Jewish American, I was so shocked and horrified that so many Jews were like saying, well, they're not concentration camps and only arguing about the words. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the same way, This it's sort of analogous because right. we're having a debate, not even about a debate, about like language and stuff like that. So that you could fill up all the all the bandwidth with just talking about is it a concentration camp or not? It's like call it an internment camp, call it a detention camp, call it a summer camp, a really terrible summer camp. I don't really care, but <laughs> let's not. Let's talk about the actual issue here instead yes. of the, the language. It's just distracting in a way that I it's think serves the media and the White House in a way because it's much easier. So I, is it is this just like a sign of the times, or have we always been this kind of word obsessed? I mean, I just feel. 
it feels we are so a very literary more. nation as you know <laughs> oh <laughs> linguistically indeed <laughs> uh, yeah that's a really good question i don't know i mean i do feel like there's never been a politician that has fed if that is if that has been some sort of latent need that we've all had to constantly <laughs> discuss words we've never had a president more willing to play that game Maybe we always had it. It's his William Sapphire streak. I think it's really <laughs> it's old school. It's always been Sapphire-esque. Well, so like if we wanted to dig a little deeper, uh, we could also point out uh, that the source apparently, by according to some, the source of, of his ire was not just that Elijah Cummings had been criticizing the detention camps, um, but also, uh, you know, he's he's the the head of the House Oversight and Reform Committee. Mm-hmm. He, and oh, he's yeah, for sure. Sub- subpoenas yep. he's authorized subpoenas for all work related texts and emails sent or received by Kushner and of um Jared and Ivanka Th- this uh this brings up to me think, like oh sorry mm-hmm. why don't I let you answer, no, ask your question well I guess my question is this kind of in, seems to indicate that he's like far more strategic and like less impulsive I think he's more impulsive though and this is like a level of strategy that I don't I don't think he truly possesses this was the, exactly what I was going to say like the question is whether he's st- playing 13 dimensional chess or whether this is just something that he you know squirts out some <laughs> some night and right. I honestly like from day to day I do have to wonder there are times when I feel like oh that's brilliant like we were just about to talk about something real and then you just did this crazy stuff and now we're only talking about that and you must have known but I ha- I have a hard time figuring it out. I don't know. And he's also there. Not everyone around him is an idiot, so there could definitely be some sort of snake whisperer that is like Stephen Miller. Yeah, precisely. Um, I, I I think there's one more thing we're not talking about too. Is I think that the real reason that Trump was angry about all the Baltimore stuff is that it reminds him he's got to see The Wire. Everyone tells him he's got to see it. And he keeps meaning to. <laughs> oh my God! Even the mere you mentioning The Wire gives me heart palpitations because I saw season one only, and the idea of like launching into season two makes me feel like <laughs> I like I'm gonna do laundry, and I just can't do it. But I know that. That I should like quote unquote should or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, yeah, that's it's spoiler so, alert. I they they like, solve an- everything in season two. It's just fine. <laughs> it's like it's like Parks and Rec after that, and, and every every other season is basically like the third season of Stranger Things. Yeah, exactly. It's just like a happy longer longer hair. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um. Well, the other thing that I should point out about you know about the interesting connections between um Baltimore and the Kushner family mm-hmm. is that they. Kushner's reportedly racked up more than 200 code violations for apartments that their company owned in 2017, um, and they only made those repairs after the county threatened to impose Mm -hmm. fines and withhold HUD payments um, to those low-income properties. Uh, So Kushner has like a – just an interesting – uh, an interesting relationship to Baltimore, but I should—I I think maybe what it might seem, where things might seem like its strategy is that Trump. I do, I, I think he probably holds uh, next to his bed a notepad um, with just every grievance mm-hmm. that he has about anything, and then sometimes someone says something on Fox, and he can like construct a tweet. Yeah. So if that, so it's, but like, it's not like. Strategic. It's just like impulse. It's, it's so reactive. it ends up seeming. Right. It, yeah, it's like it's like impulse 
like adjacent because there is like this one notepad involved. There does seem to be a number of things though, because I actually had not heard about the Kushner thing until I came across my dislike this morning. And it does seem interesting that all of a sudden there's a bunch of stuff kind of Baltimore related that could be ill-fated for Trump. And then all of a sudden we're yep. talking about Baltimore. Like where, right. when I first heard <laughs> right, him tweeting right. about Baltimore, I was like, wait, why are we, did something happen? And it does seem like there's some sort of impetus, but you're right. The question is whether there's that stuff swirling in the back of his head. And then he just goes, ah. Or ah, if he exactly. like then goes, aha, this is a way to then rectify those problems. He doesn't have the, he doesn't have the attention span to do that. I he just reacts so. to things in the moment. Right. He's just like, he's doing this horrible, this long four-year herald, which is this improv. <laughs> he just reacts to things as they come in. And usually he puts them together. Like He's just taking suggestions from the audience, but yeah. the only audience is uh, Fox and Friends. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, then, and then as far as the Jared thing, I mean, in a way he's sort of attacking Jared because it's like Jared has sort of created this conditions, but then again, Jared's kind of a cock blocker, so... <laughs> <laughs> I love, by the way, that we've now cast uh, Trump as an improv comedian and as William Sapphire. So right. I'm like the last 20 <laughs> he has levels. Who knew? Okay, well, let's move on to um, to the uh, Nash- the director of national intelligence, um, Dan Coats, just left his job. Uh, so he left, and then the guy that's tapped to replace him is John Ratcliffe. Like, I don't know if he's still going to be the guy tapped to replace him by Thursday. Uh, but what do you guys think of uh, John Ratcliffe as a replacement? It's it's hard. The thing that this really brought up for me is that in our new world that we've lived in since 2016, the amount of things that I've had to think and worry about that I never really thought <laughs> never, or worried about. Never, yeah, I, I never yeah. really knew who the chief intelligence officer was in the United States of America. And I all, and I figured that it, whoever it was, it was basically one of a kind of person, like a, probably a fairly conservative, stick-in-the-mud kind of person. Boring ass. Yeah. Right. Who like really wants to protect America and like wants to beat the bad guys and probably has a- f- And then like- Occasionally gets Chipotle when they're being really wild. Right, exactly. <laughs> turns but out, mild, mild sauce, though. Don't you know? Yeah. Turns out there's there's different kinds of people that could be serving in that role, and we have to worry about it now. This, I mean, for those who are listening and don't know, Radcliffe is like basically he's an extremely political choice. What a surprise! Right, Partisan. and and a guy who may or may not. It seems like he has very little any of if any experience other than, <laughs> interestingly, heading the House Intelligence Committee. Is that right? He was on the House very briefly and yes. fought off all the Mueller stuff. And then he also – he basically a... auditioned last week by attacking Mueller. And so I think that's mm-hmm. how he got the job. And I think people were saying even Nunes – Devin Nunes looked kind of sad because that's usually his 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 his, bit, his, his yeah. job is to do that. He was like, like, it's like all about you eat. once in the White House lawn to pick up a binder. Do you not remember that? <laughs> um, no, and also he was an attorney in Texas. He was the mayor of Heath, Texas, a town of 9,000 people outside of Dallas. Alice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess I, I think compared to someone like Dan Coates is is woefully unqualified. Um, and yeah, and like hyper partisan. Um, why? I mean, okay. So I guess and and in, in the in the complaint that everybody makes is like intelligence isn't partisan. It's just right. fact right. gathering. Now that, that that seems obviously like it ought to be the case, but also again, I've paid so little attention to this office before. How do we know that it hasn't always been partisan? I don't. I don't really know who those people have been in the past. And and actually, if you think mm-hmm. about it, one of the few that I do know, I'm, uh, was it the the head of the CIA? Was it George Herbert Walker Bush? Mm-hmm. Was it, he mm-hmm. was the head of the CIA. Right. Well, he's obviously partisan. He 
was a heavy well, duty I think, Republican. Did he do a partisan job at the time, though? I don't, That's of I don't course really the question. Know the, I don't know anything about history. Well, this is I the think question. the the way the reason you've never really had to know about them is because there's never probably been very much of a debate in yes. you know during the Senate committee hearings. It's sort of like they just you know. Um, approve these people and that's it. Sort of like the Supreme Court justices used to be, but that's not the case anymore. Everything is a show trial all of a sudden. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So even on these like kind of like less glamorous, I I don't know if I will call it a smaller job, um, everything is turning into like we all have to now listen to his fucking testimony, I guess, in live coverage and then tweet about. I don't know. I don't know. What are the rules now? And I have to be honest, like I'm, I'm glad that there's some Democrats who are going to be like holding him to the fire. But there's also a side where there's like there's a, sh- a theater to that as well that I don't want to have to deal with again. It's like some of them are like grooming themselves for of course higher office and they're trying to like sure. get election and i know that's the game i just don't want to there's just more of that just seems like more bullshit along the lines of debating what kinds of camps are and you know what different words mean it seems like more like non-stuff <laughs> that's true but the good news is is that we're all getting kind of a real-time civics education that's true. because it turns out all of these things matter all that's of these true. things we never that is thought definitely about, true. like they actually yeah. do have impact on real things. And like that guy controls this thing and like this investigator can only be appointed by this dude yeah. over here. So if you get that guy as your lapdog, then suddenly investigations stop happening and you're kind of like, wow, I guess like everything is something I should have been paying attention to. Maybe we yeah. always should have. And then the other thing I just want to point out in terms of like being the director of um, of intelligence is – Uh, or sorry, the director of national intelligence, is that, you know, North Korea just launched some missiles the other day, right? And, like, there's this ongoing Iran thing, um, and it just seems like, Donnie has said in the past multiple times, like, oh, presidents can just wage a war to make themselves more electable. Mm -hmm. So I think, like, intelligence actually plays a huge role in making the case um, to Congress whether or not there should be stuff like war. Um, And so the guy in this position is a big deal. You also want someone to speak up to the president and to be like a devil's advocate and to sort of cool his temper and not someone who's just like on his team. You know, Trump's agenda, we don't even know what it is, foreign policy-wise, really. It seems to change day by day. So the guy who's just going to follow suit, we don't want that. You want the guy to say, well, here's the facts. What about this instead? Or why don't we think about this? Or That's one of the things that I think everybody was surprised about James Comey is that, like, it turns out – I mean, if you go back to Fahrenheit for – Fahrenheit 9-11, the way he's portrayed in that movie, he's played as this kind of like super hyper right-wing partisan. Mm -hmm. And it turns out like he actually had a conscience and was like taking notes on ways that authority was being overstepped. That's who you want in those positions. And if they're not going to be in in that position, if you're going to have a lapdog, it's not good, it turns out. All right. It's not good, it turns out, (laughs) is how we're going to... (laughs) History has decided. Um, and that's like great. Um, you guys, uh, let us take a quick break to hear about our sponsors. And then when we come back, let's talk about Alfred. Today's show is sponsored by Prose. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. 
basically every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skin care, I tried the skin care just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, Um, Like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, The other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that, but we think for your skin type, creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, And this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh harshness like many years because when I saw this cleanser I was like oh is this what it's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face that's not what I've been doing so I don't know guys and here's the thing you don't have to take my word for it in a third-party double-blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study um, which is like the gold standard for research studies pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it. Just it makes common sense. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% of your first subscription order at pros.com slash fake the nation will be taken off. That's Pros.com slash fake the nation. You get your free consultation and 50% off your one of a kind formulas. Uh, again, that's pros.com slash fake the nation. Go and get your just super personalized, luxurious skincare products and hair care products. That's what I'm going to try next. So pros.com slash fake the nation. I am the type of person that has subscribed to things. And I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app. And I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money. And because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry. Thank God Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you. So you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket 
pocket money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and rocket money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Folks, I feel like I've mentioned this before, but I tried other services that I was displeased with. And then a neighbor of mine was trying Factor. I had pulled them aside in the hallway and I was like, what are you feeling about this Factor? And they were like, it is delicious. You should definitely do it. So then me and my husband did it and we loved it. They are chef-prepared meals that arrive to your door, and then in two minutes, you could be eating them. Like, it's so simple, and they're actually delicious. And for people like me who just sometimes, my schedule can be so maniacal between traveling in different cities and, you know, doing stand-up gigs. It's like I just don't have a typical schedule where I can plan and set aside time for cooking and all that stuff. So something like Factor really helps for me. The other thing that I love to do is try not to eat carbs. <laughs> so they have a keto option, which is fantastic. It's super delicious. They use premium ingredients. You can get stuff with like filet mignon and shrimp and truffle butter and broccolini and asparagus, right? Like real ingredients. There are no fuss, no mess meals. Um, They eliminate the hassle of having to prep. They're tailored to your schedule. Um, You can customize your weekly meals uh, with flexibility. You can pause or reschedule. I've actually done that. I've I've both paused and rescheduled. Um, Factor is basically your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. And look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should head to factormeals.com slash fakethenation50 and use the code fakethenation50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code fakethenation50 at factormeals.com slash fakethenation50. 
like the Nation 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Do you stand for women's rights and for the environment? There's a phone company that stands with you, Credo Mobile. Credo's the only phone company in America that supports the same causes you do, causes like fighting to stop climate change uh, and to protect reproductive freedom and immigrant rights. Uh, this is just totally and completely right up the alley of Fake the Nation listeners. I know you guys care about this stuff. Um, and here's the deal. Credo actually donates $150,000 every month to groups like Rainforest Action Network, Planned Parenthood, the ACLU, and many others. Um, and while other phone companies spend millions to push through mega mergers and fund right-wing politicians, like Credo's actually doing something good. Uh, you make a choice every day about where to spend your money. So make your mobile phone one of those choices. Switch to Credo Mobile now, and as a reward, you'll get 12 pints of Ben & Jerry's ice cream. That's a pint a month for 12 months, which is ridiculous and kind of amazing. You'll also get coverage on the nation's largest, most reliable network, along with low rates and a complete selection of smartphones, including the latest models from the top brands. Make the switch today. Go to credo.com slash fake or enter the offer code fake at the checkout. That's credo, C-R-E-D-O dot com slash fake. This is a really good one for Fake the Nation audiences. And we are back, and we're ready for topic number two. I'm ready to sign up for Blue Apron. Is that what we heard about? I don't know. I just assume. I assume with any podcast, <laughs> I'm hungry. We're not. We're not a Blue Apron podcast, you okay. guys. Um, we, uh, you guys, we read the piece in the New Yorker from Jane Mayer re, uh, that revisited the entire Al Franken situation. Um, now it was a really long piece, mm -hmm. uh, and it, but I also felt it was it was it was exhaustive. It seemed to also indicate that Franken should never have been pressured to resign, and should never have resigned. That was sort of like was my takeaway. How did you guys? What was your reading of well, it? Well, first of all, thank you for picking two dudes to talk about yeah, this. Yeah, seriously. Well, <laughs> well, oh, I know. Well, By it. the way, I'm going to get emails about this. I first, I don't pick topics based on who's on the panel. Uh -huh. It is just week to week. These are the things that are interesting. All A, B, I like to hear the opinions of all kinds of people, and it doesn't matter. I, do, I think it's great that you guys are two guys. I want to hear what you have to say okay, about it. Okay, although it is a little weird that there, you, when we came in, you tattooed targets right on our head. That was weird. <laughs> You gave me, she gave me a handmade bonnet. I thought that was really a little over the top. I feel left out. Um, I, I, I don't. The, the, here's my first. Here, I'll give you my comedy takeaway first. Is that if you read this article, there's a lot of insight about what kind of sketches are being done apparently on USO tours, at least circa 2006. And it's like, what the I know, fuck were you I guys know. thinking? Like seriously. <laughs> There's a, there's a, uh, they also don't seem funny. They just, you know, exactly. all, all together don't seem funny. There's, man -like. there's this one where Tweeden is supposedly like made, she's volunteering to have sex with a randomly drawn right. soldier's name from a box. And the joke is that all of the names are Al Franken, but it's like, I don't care what the joke is. That's is not right. correct. Aren't there, aren't there like a ton of women who serve? Like, what are they thinking? Great. <laughs> I'll just like 
look at my phone. Like, what am I going to do during this thing? This isn't even meant for me at all. <laughs> it is. Is there, is, there a, is there a gigolo sketch? Like, it seems. Or... <laughs> and by the way, these are jokes being written with taxpayers' money. It's, oh, it's like that's right. not cool. Like, right. do we do that at the Lincoln Center? Most of them are done for this? nonprofit. Most most jokes are written for non, a nonprofit basis. <laughs> literally, whatever. That's my first takeaway that won't get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Except for, I don't know, producers of the U.S. I guess so. You're but not going to get a job with them. I, I don't, didn't intend to. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it does seem like, at the, at the least, I feel like that's pretty exhaustive. I like how you're like, it turns out it was really long, you guys, this New Yorker article. That I made you, that I made you read. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, I... I that was a three-dumper like three at least for me. I felt like it was... <laughs> It was. I felt like it was exceptionally long. Like right. even for a New Yorker article, I was like, "Oh my god, make it stop!" No, I mean it was it was well done. I think it you're was, the real I, victim I mean, it was here. Really, <laughs> <laughs> but it does it does seem like it it puts a pretty big dent in Tweedens at least Tweedens accusations. I think, yes. in my opinion, mainly because it casts them in a more political light. Yeah, you did. Well, and just to remind people what happened, like what the accusation was that Franken took a photo, a jokey kind of jo- jokey seeming photo where she was asleep and he was almost like grabbing her breast. But she, I mean, fully she was clothed and they were on it in an airplane hangar or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or, or in a, or on in a plane, a, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Airplane or something. Right. Yeah. Um, so that and then and that he um, and he tried to kiss her during a rehearsal or something for this sketch that all that called for kissing or something like that and that he had insisted on rehearsing um so those were all the the kind of accusations yes so the the i i think the one of those that i think is most deeply skewered is this idea that the sketch was written purposely to allow franken to kiss her right. when there's plenty of evidence that the sketch existed long before they'd done it with other actresses in the past uh, who had not felt who had not complained about the people doing it or yeah because she had said multiple times that he he said that he had written it for her you know and yeah so that seemed to have been pretty thoroughly debunked because it had been performed before <laughs> yeah. in the previous that years so like, like that fact. was a really that was a big dent um rob did you feel how did you feel about tweeting after reading about this uh, you know I, I i really don't want to judge the woman's place in this because i feel like she was in the middle of a bunch of forces i mean look she's has her own agency about it but i don't want to like have any questioning about like what her story was and do what he said she said mm-hmm. i will mm-hmm. say um uh, Al Franken does seem on paper like someone who wouldn't even do that, but also he's a guy who has both power and fame. And men who have power and fame sometimes get a little outside themselves and sort of like become oblivious to like what the rules are. I mean, I think we've seen a lot of examples of this. And I think that there there could be some cases where he just sort of like goes farther than polite, you know, as we, I think, know now more clearly, I think, like, what the real boundaries are that women are speaking up about. But, like, he was doing something that other guys were doing, maybe, and women kind of put up with it for, let's say, thousands of years. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, you know, maybe she kept her mouth shut because women went along with that for thousands of years, and you kept your mouth shut, and now there's a new environment when it's okay to speak about it. And people say, why didn't she say something? Why did she seem happy afterwards? Why were there pictures of them joking around? That's what you do, right? Am I am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just sort of like act like it didn't happen and you, you soldier forward. But it seems right. to me the thing that this article is – the service that this article does though is put this in more of a political context. Yeah, the right. Idea, you don't Partis- – Everything's partisanized just like the director of national intelligence. Because exactly. I didn't super – I didn't super realize like – 
all the many connections she had to conservative media. Like I didn't, you know, it, or, or rather it was interesting to see it all in one place. Mm-hmm. Like she has a long history with Hannity yeah. and we, with the Fox network and all of that stuff. So there, it did seem like there was like a little bit of a political dimension yeah, for sure. um, to what, you know, to, to some of her accusations. Again, not to say that the, and, and again, it did, there, it also the article seemed to, put a dent in the story about um, the sketch, you know, having been written for her. It was not written for her, you know? Yep. Um, all of that stuff, I mean, it. I think this is so, and I can understand, we're all schwitzing here, okay? <laughs> we're all, and I'm a woman and I'm schwitzing because I feel, Perspiring. because I, I believe, I believe women, right? But also, like, Women are also like Humans. capable. They're capable at everything, including lying, right? Or they're capable at everything, including perceive, you know, perceiving things differently than they happened or whatever. Manipulating, like we're all. Yeah. But you don't even need yeah. to. You don't even need to dissect the story itself to still take something away from this article, which is like, for instance, I think one of the things that I hadn't really thought about is the fact that around, well, maybe around the same time, back in 2015, there was a New Jersey representative who was indicted on mm-hmm. corruption, federal corruption charges, and remained in his post, was not forced to right. step down. And one of the main reasons that didn't happen, the main reason that that occurred was because the New Jersey governor was Republican right. and Democrats knew that he would be replaced with a Republican if they forced him out. Right. In this Frank, case, a Democratic Minnesota governor, right? Yes. In exactly. this case, he was not forced out. I don't, I don't think that we can, we have to say that the story was wrong or even that maybe Franken did something wrong without talk, but you can say that politics plays into this and that maybe proportionally Franken got more of a punishment than others definitely have gotten for the same or worse thing. I think I think there was also two other political forces that this reminded me of. One of them was that the context of this was that this happened, like now we're looking at sort of in the cooler light of day, but this was happening, I think, right after sort of the, the Harvey Weinstein and there was like a huge like simmering level yeah. of rage. So like people want to act, they want they want blood, they want vengeance. The Democrats want to come out as the good guys. And also, as the article pointed out, this was leading up to Roy Moore. Yep. So you lose your one of your, your huge weapon, which ultimately defeated Roy Moore, if you don't have the moral clarity to Right, say well, it. there's this idea... I think there's this idea of ideological purity um, that kind of drove everyone to say resign. And I think what was the other thing that was really interesting was the sheer number of senators who now regret Mm -hmm. having asked Mm -hmm. Franken to resign Um, that that they thought it should have been there should have been an ethics committee hearing. It should have there should have been due process. Um, and, And so I think that I think that was also that was also interesting because they're like taking a step back and being like, it, there is no absence of ideological purity if you insist on due process. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like you can maintain sure. ideological purity and still insist on that. And so I think that's the one thing that I, the, the heat of that moment stole from us. It would have been fascinating. Imagine like. it would have been like a reverse Kavanaugh. Just imagine like, <laughs> because like the way the left and the right would sort of line up on it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have yeah, all yeah, these yeah. all these sort of left people who are sort of like normally are like really supportive mm. of women and feminism and saying like let's hear the woman out, let's be victim. But who is this woman and what's going on here? And we like Franken and he's spoken out in legislation for he's proposed legislation. It's women, tough. and then you've got the right wing and they've got like oh yes we've got it. Every woman must be believed. Me too. Yep. Like all this stuff. It would be a really weird kind of like SNL skit or something like. It is tough and it's it's hard because it's like politics where you're basically always trying to brutalize the other side. But this is a situation where really everyone has to agree to play by the same rules and you kind of can't. Yeah, you're, it, yeah. The, there's so many reasons that you're kept. You're sort of incentivized not to. Uh, it's really difficult. Good. There was there was one moment that I thought again, like this is the kind of thing that you know a, a, an ethics investigation would have would have like kind of brought to us in a more nuanced way was like the thing that the kind of um, accusation that nailed the coffin for for Franken happened with a woman that I think he was doing a radio show with or whatever. He went to say goodbye. She took it as a kiss or something like that and ducked or something. Mm -hmm. And um, and 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 she so she went forward with that. Um, And then the and the writer asked her, um, she said, I asked the woman if she thought that Franken had been making a sexual advance or a clumsy thank you gesture. Mm -hmm. And then the woman said, is there a difference? Hmm. Um, now, again, like, okay, as a woman, I, there is a difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I've been in situations where I've noted that there's a difference. Um, or that, like, I've been in situations with other women where I'm like, ugh, the, you know, I'd rather not hug, but all right. Or yeah. like, uh, like, you know, or whatever. It's, it's, I, but I, I so I do think that there's, that's the kind of accusation to me that I'm like, we can all think about it and then come up with a punishment that fits the crime. And if the f- crime is a clumsy gesture um, that might violate personal space. I should, I should step down from this a- too, I think. after all all my dates i should resign immediately no exactly i think if that i think if that's the crime then we can come up with a punishment that really matches that which because it's pretty um you know at the end of the day um forgivable i think i think that kind of thing it's teachable it's forgivable these are people that can evolve and change and learn you know we're uh, and, and the interesting thing is, we're sort of allowing Biden to do that. You yeah. know why? Yeah, why did? Yeah. Right. Why aren't we? Why? Why do you think the rules changed well, for Biden? In the, in the article, what's mentioned is that it's because there's not photographic evidence. Although it is interesting that shortly after, you know, the talk about him being a hugger and being too close to women mm-hmm. started happening, he did put his hands on a woman's shoulder, and there was a photograph circulating of that right. on Twitter. Um, but that's the main reason is that there's not that kind of like essential piece of evidence that is just like shocking to the face. I think also the stakes are higher because people see Biden as the Trump killer, or at least some people see him as a a fairly solid possible Trump killer, which is Franken was just a piece in the cog and you get rid of Biden all of a sudden. And, and the other thing is like, imagine like having to have testimony for Biden, like who has that kind of time? Like (laughs) we have to hear stories about his boyhood and baseball and taking the train in. You also don't have the benefit of like the ensuing, how many months has it been since Franken stepped down? 
Right. And maybe a year. Maybe Democrats are just, just sort of going like, we they can't afford to take too many hits. We just right. can't do it. Especially since we're the only ones taking them on ourselves, imposing them on ourselves. Yeah. Which is another right. big question. It's kind of like right. politically, you know, is this the smart, and not and obviously not morally, but politically is the smartest strategy to continue to play these things up on either side because it seems like it's going to hit back at the Democrats harder no matter who brings it up. Right. You know what I mean? And I think morally, uh, we should insist on a pro- on a process that's fair. I think yeah. you know, like I I just people like Weinstein and Cosby. I mean, you know, they're going through legal process. Right. Cosby went through <laughs> went to court. I mean, that stuff, and that's great. Obviously, with this this thing, it was like. There would have been an ethics committee. It wasn't. There wasn't criminality involved, um, but that process. Should, I, I strongly believe that process should have happened. Uh, it, which is not to say I don't believe the women. It's not at all to say I don't believe the women. I just think that a fair process should have happened, mm-hmm. and we, where we could have gotten a, a like a fair punishment. Some, and I don't think that resignation was necessarily a fair punishment. And I, and I do think that the bar for making an elected official resign. In a, and, and it's hard for me to say this because obviously we all want our politicians to be held to the same accountability and the same laws that everyone else is. Yeah. But when you're deposing or asking to step down somebody who's been duly elected, you're basically undoing mm-hmm. the will of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people. And it that's a really big deal in a democracy. This is, that's a really big deal. So yeah. you've got to think about it. And, and I don't know how to rectify those two things because uh, you could even argue, you know, whatever you think of Trump – it should be hard to depose the president of the United States. Yeah. Like hundreds yeah. of millions of people voted for him. And like unlike, unlike yeah. Roy Moore again, like the voters of Alabama basically decided they made sort of made a decision in, yep. a, in a democratic right. process for him. Exactly. I mean, against him rather. Um. So my my last question here is. As a couple of dudes in the workforce, um, <laughs> how it's, it's so felt. cute that you think we're working. It's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you feel like the Me Too movement has um, affected? Have you seen any change from your end? I think that I'm just like I. I like to think that it wasn't really something that I was guilty of, but you know, I feel like a lot of guys just naturally have a blind spot about this and have blinders on about it and just might not mm-hmm. be aware. And I think that it just made me like take an extra step of caution, even with an email, with a joke that I tell to someone. Like sometimes, even in a writer's room, you guys know a writer's room can be pretty raucous with men and women. Uh, you know, yeah. everyone giving as well as they get, all kinds of rough stuff. Yeah, I've sent you know every now and then I've sort of sent a little apology email to a, a female writer. Just because, like, I, I was like, I hope that joke didn't come across creepy or something like that. Just to sort of, like, maybe I'm just covering my ass or maybe I'm just, like, trying to be more aware of, like, how this is perceived. And, I, you know, I have a 10-year-old daughter and um, I'm trying to think more about, you know, the way that women are received and treated in the world. And I think I'm just, I wouldn't say it's a chilling effect, but I think that it just makes me more cautious and a little bit, you know, uncertain. And maybe that's good because haven't women spent a long time feeling uncertain about what they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to feel. And yeah. is it like sort of like <laughs> yeah, about yeah. time that we should feel a little bit uncertain right, of our right. status and sort of confident constantly? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rico, what, how do you feel? I, I, I worked a, for a long time in public radio. And the thing that was most interesting when, as this has been unfolding, is I was kind of looking back because 
I, I, a lot of the things that have come out have been very shocking to me. And I was wondering why it didn't seem as shocking to a lot of people. It's like, oh yeah, that kind of thing happens all the time. And it's totally and, shocking to me. Like and, that, that day on Facebook when there was all the Me Too's, I'm, I was like sick to my stomach. I mean, I know, boohoo me, but <laughs> compared to all that, but, but like I was, it was really like literally shocking to me. And I hope yeah. that maybe that just means that I'm just dumb. But like, I think it was a real wake up call for a lot of well-meaning guys because like, really, there's that much of it at that level for everyone. Like we really didn't have that much right. idea of it. Like Harvey Weinstein right. seemed like an outlier, you know, a job of the hut kind of guy, but you didn't realize it was yeah. happening in all kinds of like much more well-behaved guys. It's just like a day-to-day situation, right. yeah. But it, but it was, yeah. but what really, really was shocking to me was when some people got me too out of public radio because my experience of public radio has been most of my bosses have been women in public radio. Mm. Like the senior editors, mm. oftentimes exec, some of the executive producers that I've worked with have largely been women and it's always felt like there's been this real equality in that workforce and it turned out that was completely just my lucky point of view. Maybe they were just speaking up, but it was in that quiet NPR tone, so nobody could hear them. <laughs> it was the kind of, or they were talking, we were just very sleepy. Right, that exactly. was we were falling asleep while they were talking. It was difficult. Um, but I, I think it's obviously incredibly important that we're all talking about this. There was, I was just watching the uh, Aziz Ansari stand-up special, and he was he quotes a friend of his saying, ever since the his Me Too moment happened, he's like, I've gone back and thought about every date I've ever had. And maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> All dudes are going back compared and going to, like, like, say, Louis or someone like that. Yes, correctly. Right. It's like, what have what have we done that maybe was really not a good thing? Yeah, I do like this idea uh, that women have been thinking about everyone around them all the time, constantly, their entire lives. And now men get to yep. do that as well. And then maybe everything will just be fine after. Um, all right. Well, you know what? We'll, uh, I guess, keep uh, you posted on how society evolves. <laughs> um, <laughs> let us move on to the next segment. Summer, you guys. It's summer. I want to know what you do with your time. What are you reading? What are you watching? What kind of activities? What are you eating? How do you feel? I want to hear about all of it. Oh, I thought this was going to be more of like a pop cultural thing, but you're saying more of a, a, a personal activity, human? personal? I have a list of books, but I also can talk about like activities. So any <laughs> anything. <laughs> uh what what should you you're looking I've got a feeling I've just met you sir but yeah. I have a feeling that we're not dudes who like do a lot of beach combing <laughs> like <laughs> tons of dune buggying yeah whale they, harpooning I have to <laughs> I say don't know what uh, I'm looking at them through a camp through a monitor in the, the Los Angeles studio as I am in New York and they all I also agree that you don't look like those kinds of guys yeah we collectively have eight eyes <laughs> and <laughs> very pale very pale Gents. Um, um, yeah, so, so, read, so reading, do you, do you reading do? and TV, right? Yeah, well, I'll say, I'll say that um, actually, the summer is when my my daughter goes off to camp. Is just going off to way to sleep away camp uh, oh, for a cute. month. So that changes the dynamic in the whole household. Yeah. Can I ask um, you this? This is because I know a bunch of people who are your in your bunk situ- number. That's so creepy. <laughs> uh, and I have a bunch of friends who are parents who are going through this now. I have a remarkably positive remembrance of my theater yeah. camp. 
Uh-huh. Summer Theater camps. I'm shocked. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? <laughs> and, he went um, on to public media. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but I know a ton of people whose kids hate. They go off to camp and they hate it. What are your no? Kids I had a good. I had a good memory. I had a good memory of, of camp as well. Um, it was a non-Jewish. It wasn't a denominational camp, but it was like somehow it was like 90% Jewish and 10% Mexican. I don't know how that works cool. exactly. Like, but that. Maybe during Passover, there's like a tortilla overlap or something. But um, I had good memories. But then uh, my my daughter went two years ago for like there's the two week trial period camp, mm-hmm. um, and then she liked it enough. She was it was sad. She was liked it enough, and then she came back and she didn't want to go last year. She just didn't feel like it. And then this year, she's like, "Well, what, what am I doing this summer?" One of her like specialty camps, she was in day camps, fell through, and she's like, "You know what? I want to go to camp." And so she like came right back around on it. Okay. She's like, "I'm older now. I'm more mature." I can handle going away for farther, and she, we've gotten letters back, and she seems happy. So I think it it's it's okay. writing like letter letters. They actually send we send her with yeah. postcards and stuff, but they do have a thing where you can email and they print it out and show it to the kids, and they also send like pictures of them like three times a week, which. It's wow. fine. It was just about enough. Like, that didn't happen in my day. It used to be, there's some camps where like, it's like every day they show on the Facebook page and you can email them. And I hate that. I hate that stuff. Like, yeah, that yeah, just yeah. seems like yeah. the antithesis of camp. You should I be mean, in isolation. It does make me remember though, because you know, I go off to camp for three weeks and this is in the pre-digital era. Mm-hmm. And it's like, for parents, that was basically your kid fell into a black hole. Like, right. <laughs> I had right. no idea right. what was happening to that child. Which is a little scary. It is know? a little scary. Like, right. would that have, would you have been able to deal with that? My parents had no problem. It would be a little bit hard, I think, especially because we're so used to nowadays. We're, we supervise our kids way more than exactly. they supervised. I mean, look at those Stranger Things kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's that the crazy part of that show. That was me, like in the eighties and nineties. Like I would just yep. show, I would just come home after school and I would be alone for several hours. <laughs> it was yep. That's the most science fictional aspect of that show, by the way. I think the fact that they're allowed to just go around and they, and they entertain themselves for hours without like games or <laughs> they would have back then. That was not that was reality. That was a documentary in the nineteen eighties. That's right. how it went. Um, just so yeah, woods. so we're just we just have much more of a bead on our kids, I think, nowadays, and we're used to that. And like, it's a big deal. We're talking about this next year about like we literally live a block away from the school, and we're like, is is the is my daughter going to come home from school by herself next year or not? Like we're still discussing. That. Oh yeah, I imagine at like age eleven, that would be kind of something you would have done at our age. Like absolutely, I, I have a I know a friend who they will not the school will not allow her child to bike to school. Wow. She has to what? bike with the child to school. Wow, yeah, wouldn't let it happen. This wow. is in uh, junior. Think junior high I mean, these school. things are always about liability in the end. Wait, in junior high school? I think it was junior high school. Wow. Wow, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's I crazy was cakes. so on my own getting to school. I mean, I oh, was yeah, a, me I, I bust, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I but I I used to walk sometimes. It was like a forty five minute walk or something. It was like a hefty walk. Oh yeah. Um. But uh. Wow. Okay. Uphill both ways. That said. Um. Summer. Uh, summer. Going back to summer. Going back to summer. summer. My, my, my point in saying that was that like all of a sudden we have like more time in the evenings and so my wife and I are like basically capturing it, catching up on all the stuff that like everyone's been telling us we have to watch. Like <laughs> not The Wire yet, but all these other things that we've been waiting to watch because we just like, go to sleep or we're exhausted every night and we're like finally we're sort of catching up with the rest of America. <laughs> this is what I love though because I'm totally with you. That's what I would be doing too. But it is like, oh, your kid goes away for two weeks and it's not like you go to Europe <laughs> or no, like no. run to the beach, have dates every night. You're like, finally, yeah. We can watch some TV. That's right. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> the dream. Living the dream. This is me. That's what my summertime's basically. Wait, so are, are you guys saying, and I really <laughs> hope that you're not, 
you literally never go to the beach and you live in Los Angeles? No, I do, but it took getting married to a woman who really likes the beach to make me realize that the beach is pretty cool and we live in Los Angeles. Can I give the right most there. Can I give the most Los Angeles answer ever? Yeah. I do go to the beach sometimes, but Parking. <laughs> that is true. It's true, right? That is really true. Suck to park at the beach. And you go over there and you're like, it's really pretty out here. Maybe we should live by the beach. And you're like, Every but single this, time. oh my God, this traffic, I could right. never do it. Right. Um, it's really, I, it's I'm one, I also, my husband is now forced to go to the beach because I love the beach so much. But, and every time he's like, he like puts up a moment of like, ugh, you know, and then once we get there, he's like, actually, this is great. But uh, I will... I will share with you guys a couple of the books that I'm reading that I think are good beach reads. Um, There's a book called Severance um, written by Ling Ma. I'm a huge fan. And by the way, listeners of Fake the Nation, if you have any recommendations in this genre, please send them to me. I'm a huge fan of post-apocalyptic Oh. Novels. Um, I read one called Station Eleven. Uh-huh. Maybe last summer, the summer before. And so for uh, you, this is like the greatest era in the history of humanity, basically. Oh my we, god, we I love post-apocalypse rich. Yeah, era. yeah, like Handmaid's mm. Tale, all that stuff. Love it. Um, and uh, but it has to be good. Like I don't like cheesy, and I'm not into like fa- I'm not into like fantastical. Things like I want a realistic. Everybody died. Then what? <laughs> <laughs> that's a beach read to you. Inspiring. Uh, that's a beach read to me. Yeah. So wow. Severance is a really good book um, for that. If you're if you're into that, and also you're like, you know what's a feel good beach read? Road. It's really <laughs> road. Yeah. <sweet. laughs> oh, you know what? I thought it, I felt like road was too much. Like I can't handle that level of like darkness. Hey, dad's spending quality time with his son. They're not on electronics. Can, can we have some silver lining here? <laughs> There's just some mild eating other humans. Um, right. No, that's, I found truly traumatizing in their elements of uh, that. I, I wish I could unknow. Um, but uh, similarly, I'm in the midst of a podcast called Blackout. Uh, with Rami Malek. Have you guys heard mm-hmm. about this podcast? Oh, no. I've there's, seen it advertised. There's a blackout, basically, a nationwide mm-hmm. blackout, and then things happen. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> which is also, I also made a movie called Third Street Blackout. I'm obsessed with it w- about uh, the blackout in, uh, after Hurricane Sandy in New York City. I'm obsessed with everybody losing power and then seeing what happens. Um, mm. I, I love that scenario because we obviously- If we lost see- internet, we lose Twitter for like an hour and people are like eating their neighbors. Like, oh, man. Right. Got over any kind of losses. <laughs> exactly. The other day, I have a landline in my house specifically in case of an earthquake. Yeah. Uh, you want to keep a landline because it's less likely to go yeah. out than a cell tower collapsing. And uh, the other day, they had to do some electric work in my apartment. And the electricity went out, and I realized that my landline is actually attached to a digital router. Yeah, and that I if the electricity that went out, I'm screwed. Yeah, there's no hope. Yeah, yeah you no need hope. to get like old school landlines that connect to the little, you know, yeah, to the yep. wall, the wall. The Do wall. they make those? Yeah. <laughs> Do they make walls anymore? They actually don't. You know, we looked into this. My wife and I have the same for the same reasons, and there's very few services that actually offer that, and they're also exorbitant because I, mean, I think they know people are doing that. You know, like it's a lot of money for a landline versus we, I think well, we get like a VO, VO1P or something. How much is it? I think it's like 50 bucks or something. Something like that, like for a, a service that you're only- t- This like, would be the first page of a post-apocalyptic story, by the way. What, the landline like, going out? He didn't, he didn't want to pay the extra money <laughs> for the- <laughs> You should have paid the landline fee, honey. It's the first line of the- Little did okay. he know. So now that you're watching a lot of television, what is it that you're watching? 
Uh, I am, uh, well, I'm actually lately the stuff that I've been, I have been going out to the movies cause I'm old. Apparently young oh, people don't go to movies love, anymore. That's such a great summer thing. Hot summer day. Yeah. Yep. Air conditioned movies. It's the best. I love it. I have also been going to a lot of movies. What have you been seeing? Well, I think just like everybody in our circle of peeps, uh, <laughs> once upon a time in Hollywood, out here in Hollywood, it was pretty hard to ignore Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's pretty much playing everywhere in Hollywood, including, like, guys' backyards. It's weird. Um, <laughs> did and you enjoy it? I really did. It's damn good. And the soundtrack is really good and is a great summer soundtrack. It's like, it basically sounds like you're listening to KHJ Radio AM in 1969 in wow. Los Angeles. Well, Tarantino always is. The best, really well. Yes, and this one is especially long. It's like forty songs, and it wow. actually also includes clips from actual KHG broadcasts. So mm. it's like completely nostalgic. And Deep Purple's "Hush," that song is on the soundtrack, and it is like the greatest song ever written. I'd totally forgotten about mm. it. So worth it for that. Drive around listening to that, and also Nick Broomfield's new doc about Leonard Cohen and oh. his muse Marianne Illen, Marianne and Leonard Words of Love. Mm-hmm. It is a very respectful. Nick Broomfield is known for these incredibly jaded, cynical movies where it's as much about him and his needs as his subjects. He did Kurt and Courtney, mm-hmm. not a movie that I really believe almost anything in as a documentary. <laughs> but this movie is just, he obviously respects these people. He knew them. There's also beautiful footage of kind of a bygone era of kind of l- luscious living in the Greek Isles circa the 1960s. So let me let me just clarify. I, I, I huge Leonard Cohen fan and I, I want to see that but you actually went to a theater to see a documentary about Leonard Cohen that's, that's how hot it is in Los Angeles people. <laughs> <laughs> that's the weather report today what are, what are you watching one. Rob uh, I haven't gone out to uh, so many movies yet but uh, I've been um, oh so there's this little Hollywood um, loophole where I'm I, I was in the academy a, a, until last year so you get these screeners yeah. A, you know, whole yep. thing to yeah, see so you'll yeah. vote on their thing. Lucky. So we have this pile of screeners. Uh, you can come over and borrow them. Really? Uh, no, not really. I'm going to bootleg them. Wait, yeah. wouldn't exactly. that get you kicked out of that? Or you're already kicked out if, of the academy? If, if, no, if no, no, no. If, if you bootleg them. But you <laughs> yeah, can watch yeah, them once. Okay. And then you're supposed to destroy them, like literally, or send them to the troops <laughs> uh-huh. or something. So we've been watching like uh, like Chernobyl. We, my wife and I binged Chernobyl. <laughs> Again, <laughs> summertime. A, what is with you guys? I know. <laughs> Uh, the road and Chernobyl. Chernobyl's the perfect really double good. Feature. Chernobyl's really good. I, 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 and then at the same time, well, and then um, we were watching this this show, uh, American Princess, on Lifetime. I don't know if you've seen it's the Chinji Cohen yeah, show well, about like the Renaissance We just Fair. had the creator on last week, Jamie Dembo. Yes, nice. yes, Jamie yeah, Dembo. I love it. And um, she's and, fantastic. Um, have you seen? Have you seen it? Have you seen I the have, show? No, Maybe? it's on my it's on my list of things to. It's really it's it's a watch. perfect summer. It's a fun, it's a very summery thing because it's a little bit. I mean, like it's maybe the only show on Lifetime I would probably watch, but um, uh, it's like, it's a good entertaining show and it's a little bit, it's a little bit not quite realistic because it's like this Renaissance Fair goes on forever. Like it's just a place you can live in, <laughs> you know? I like how I'm like nerd splitting how a Renaissance Fair would actually work or a, a Ren Fair. <laughs> so it's about a Ren Fair? Well, I don't want to spoil it. It's but, about but, a girl who runs off to a Ren Fair. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a fishmonger out of water, if you will. I would love to see um, that, actually. I have friends who are, like, really, really into Ren Faire, and Rain, I should be in them. The Ren community is apparently divided on this, I've heard. Really? How it's portrayed, because there's some they get some things right, and then some things, you know, like anything where you portray something, they're not going to get the details <laughs> right. But um, one funny New York detail is that um, my uh, the woman who plays, like, the Queen Elizabeth character, who's this really kind of dominating presence at a rent fair, as you might expect, was my former landlady. When I first moved to rent this tiny, tiny, tiny ass sublet in New York to work on The Daily Show, 
um, so she could go so that we could switch coast and she could go to LA and try out for pilot season. And now she's become very successful and she's like lives in LA and gets on all kinds of shows and she's fantastic. Shauna Kofed. That's amazing. And so, but like, I feel like this, this weird connection to like, I feel like there's a, <laughs> part a of my past. I feel like this is a brand of LA story. I know a lot of people who had like incredible, like character actors as their landlords. I right. knew somebody who was Crispin Glover's subletter. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> And I wish I could remember I the stated, stories. I stated, my wife once sublet uh, a room in Robert Downey Jr.'s drug dealer's former house, <laughs> which was not as nice as you would think it would be. you think it would be much more well-appointed, like all those funds. Um, Listeners, don't you wish you were in showbiz? Yeah, I know. You too could have these stories. There's no... <laughs> it's a horrible. Meanwhile, um, are these stories are so relatable, guys, um, right. for everyone in America. Um, you guys have your screeners, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let them eat screeners. I, uh, I, I, I also, I want to totally like recommend that people physically go to movie theaters. I also want to recommend that people go do the thing that their city or town does for summertime Mm. activities. So in New York, there's Mm. obviously hundreds of those things and there's Mm -hmm. tons of movies on the green. Like there's, you know, every park has screenings of movies. I love going. They were, they did a how to train your dragon screening in Tompkins square park last weekend. And I went and it was wonderful. Um, So I recommend going to those outdoor things uh, that your city provides. And I know like based, you know, some smaller cities don't have much, but there's still stuff that that's going on in your town and just like showing up and seeing your neighbors it's just it's really lovely like get out of your bubble but or stay in your same bubble but just have it be with uh, everyone else that is also in that bubble (laughs) outside bubbles all the way down expand your bubble all kinds of bubbles and um expand your bubble (laughs) so i i recommend doing that there's also you know summer concerts and all that stuff like that stuff it's just wonderful and it Mm -hmm. all once you get over the parking or the train ride to the thing (laughs) you have a great time the other thing i recommend for summer acai bowls what what? whoa (laughs) didn't we have the sponsors already (laughs) (laughs) oh is that how it's pronounced yeah it's not a kai no i think i was always saying a kai yeah because it's got the little thing the curly yeah right embarrassing you've been saying is that right (laughs) (laughs) no you know actually um, my my family does is we do a summer wish list every year oh this big board it's like the dream board where we put it in a big easel on our um in our dining room. And it's like, we're not going to get to a bunch of these things. Some of them we've done before, but we just put all these things up. And I think it just, I think it includes a lot of stuff like what you're talking about. It just incentivizes you to like go out and seek out stuff to do, not only just with other people, civic activities, but just like little museums, like little cute places that you may not, you're not going to make the effort to do that. I think sometimes you're just going to stay at home where it's cool and just like look at Facebook all day or something like that. Listen to current events podcasts. And, um, (laughs) Yeah, but I, I think just going and finding way. like all the little gems and stuff that anyone's you know hometown or city has to offer, even if you've done it before. Sure, public swimming pools. That was something. I mean, I remember oh, actually watching the third season of pool. of uh, Stranger Things, which is set. It seems predominantly at a local public swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, reminded me that I used to spend all my time as a kid at the public swimming pool in my hometown of Pittsburgh. You were asked to leave several times. In fact, I was, <laughs> it was kind of like, <laughs> sir, it's three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> 
um, why did you bring bedding? And <laughs> I loved it. And occasionally I will be reminded that there's one not far from my home and be like, oh, you can go to that place. It's like a dollar fifty still. Super cheap. And right, right. it's cooling and nice. And there's all different kinds of people there and they're all enjoying themselves. You can look at the tattoos here in LA. There's right. just a preponderance thereof. And it's really fun. Do yeah, that, I went to a public swimming pool in, uh, I think it's Glassell Park in mm-hmm. uh, Los Angeles or whatever. Sure. A really nice one. Anyways, uh, I also I also recommend. They're fun. It's fun. And there's so many in New York. There's tons in New York. Uh, and I, I imagine there's, <laughs> again, like, look, we're coastal elites talking about their public mm-hmm. swimming pools. Um, mm. <laughs> but, uh, but, socialist swimming pools. Yeah, socialist swimming pools. Um, all right, you guys, tell me what, you're do- what you do with your summer. I love summer. I love hearing what people do with their summer. Especially when it does not involve telephones or computer screens. And I just love it. So share those with me um, to give me more ideas. Um, you guys, that's the end of the show. How do you feel? Uh, I can't believe it's over. That was very fast. <laughs> that's how um, we do here. If you don't even know where the time goes. Can you explain that's the to power me again, of person? a good fucking chat? <laughs> I was, I was, it was really, really good fucking chat. I, th- I was a little bit worried and trying to like prepare stuff. And I thought, and then, and then we came in here, we had a nice conversation. Yeah. That's what it Who is. Knew? It's like the way things are supposed to happen. I also, I prepared like crazy for this because I was like, oh man, intelligence officers. <laughs> yeah. You'll notice that my take on intelligence officers was, I don't Rico think has about a dossier this. here he, he compiled for this episode. I do actually have a laptop open in front of me. But you know what? I didn't refer to nearly as often as I thought. Thank I you for respecting out. the show uh, and actually um, preparing. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, it's the <laughs> By the way, all me, of guess. our panelists prepare thoroughly and they all know what they're talking about all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, you guys, I would love for the audience to be able to follow you and read all your things and listen to all of your things and watch all of your things. Rob Kuttner, how do they do that? Um, you have to stay outside my uh, door with a pair of binoculars um, and just, just monitor, develop a pattern of my comings and goings. Um, uh, you can you can check out my comic book, which is also political and comedy and sci-fi all at once at robcutner.com and also some of the stuff I've been doing. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Apocalypse How, which is the name of my post-apocalyptic comedy book, which is not in print anymore. But that's where I tweet at. And, uh, and that's kind of it. Um, and you can't... Oh. Do you? Yeah, Rico, tell him. Uh, <laughs> I'm chomping at the bit. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Rico Galliano, R-I-C-O-G-A-G-L-I-A-N-O. You can read the book that I co-wrote with my former co-host, Brendan Francis Newman. It's called Brunch as Hell, How to Save the World by Throwing a Dinner Party, and it's available wherever books are sold. And uh, you can listen to my podcast, Safe for Work, which is from the Wondery Network, available where all fine podcasts are given out for free. Um, <laughs> absolutely, everyone should download uh, that podcast. You should check out Rob's um, comic books. You should uh, follow everybody on Twitter. Um, you guys know where I'm going to be. I'm, you'll, you can hear me on uh, Wait, Wait uh, at the end of uh, the month. Uh, and and in September and uh, you know try and get tickets in DC and Chicago and um, I will also be in Kentucky in Louisville you guys 
like that term. in September at some point. I don't know. Stumping, stumping for Mitch, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, you, you know me, guys. I'll be out there for Mitch McConnell. Um, but what I really want to do is thank everyone on the production team here at Fake the Nation. That's our producer, Harry Nelson, our talented audio engineers, Andy Christens and Jared O'Connell. Um, thank you to Gabby Alter, who wrote our theme music, and Lily Fleshler, who helps with research. Uh, and you guys, you know how we love to hear from you. And oh, I've gotten so many great emails in the last week, and I want to get back to all of you. It's my plan to get back to every single one of you. So thank you so much for emailing me, um, sharing your thoughts, but please keep them coming. Uh, your feedback on topics uh, that we should chat about, guest ideas, um, what have you. You can leave us a voicemail at 347-770-4981 or drop us a line at comments at fakethenation.com. I've noticed that most of you like to send the emails. But I want you to know, I like hearing your voices. I'm a voice gal. So um, please uh, leave us a voicemail at 347-770-4981. And if you like what you hear, you can leave a review at Apple Podcasts because it helps people find the show that's actually a thing that works. Um, Okay, you guys, thank you so much. And we will be back in your earballs next week. Okay, bye. Do you know your phone can be a powerful force for change? With Credo Mobile, it can because Credo donates $150,000 every month to groups like Friends of the Earth, the ACLU, and Planned Parenthood. So switch to Credo Mobile, the carrier that... The carrier that stands for women's rights, the environment, social justice, and so much more. You can learn more about Credo at credo.com slash fake. Uh, that's credo, C-R-E-D-O dot com slash fake.